0: Hello everybody. Welcome to the Front Runners Podcast. Time of taking this Wednesday, April 29th. My name is Morn. joined by my brother Patches. Patches, what's the word, buddy? What's up, brother? Not much, man. Just uh staying quarantine, practicing social distancing amid the uh, COVID nineteen pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, second week in a row we've uh we've gone digital. Um, for those of for viewers that are listening and and and, uh, and watching, we are on youtube this is our second consecutive week being on youtube so in addition to all the podcast uh uh, outlets you can find our our, our show on you can find us on youtube as well
1: future youtube stars yeah
0: future youtube stars you see our beautiful faces in addition to listening to our beautiful voices let's Um, get paid yeah (laughs) uh we got a packed show for you this week um kind of like what we did last week we want to talk about the last dance obviously it's Story in, in, in the NBA and sports right now. Documentary going on with the different goals on this Um Episodes three and four aired uh, over the weekend, so we're going to get into that. And then we're going to get into the draft recap. Draft happened over the weekend as well. Um, we're getting into a lot of the different picks, a lot of the different uh, strategies that, that, that uh, some of the teams executed. And, um, you know, we've got some activity in the NFL as well in free agency. We got James Winston signing with a new team, and we may have some traction happening uh, with. with some of the leagues maybe starting up um, activity in the next couple of weeks. So let's get right into it, man. I, w- I want to start with the last dance. Obviously, you got the uh, you got the Pistons jersey back there, so we're gonna we're gonna get into that in a moment. Um, episodes three and four really highlighted Dennis Rodman and his uh, you know his his upbringing and his tenure with the Bulls, and then how that corresponded with uh, with him being a member of the Bad Boys and and obviously, you know, the relationship between the Bulls and, and the Pistons uh, in the late 80s and early 90s. Uh, but Patches, I want to get your input, um, starting with the Rodman angle, because that was episode three. One of the things that, that I noticed was how much rope Rodman had in his tenure with the Bulls. How surprised were you watching the documentary with some of the stuff that he was really able to get away with as a member of the Bulls?
1: You know, I've watched a lot of documentaries. Um, pretty much every single one that has come out on Rodman. He's just a just a, a fascinating was a fascinating player and just yeah. a fascinating human being. Um I wasn't too surprised um with the amount of rope that he was given. Uh, given the Bulls circumstances with the whole Scottie Pippen thing. Um, they were kind of short handed. So I, I feel like they 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 were put they were they were kinda put in a pickle, you know. Um, do we keep do we keep this guy on a, on a shorter leash? Do we let him do his thing so he can come back and you know give us give us you know a hundred percent? Because when when Scotty was out, he was given all he was given it his all, um, and he was getting he was getting burned out. So I, I i wasn't surprised on on the amount of rope that was given um, by Phil Jackson and, and, and obviously Michael Jordan, um, but it was very interesting. Very interesting to say the least. Uh, that whole situation um, had no idea that 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 was even going on at the time. Um, crazy,
0: yeah. absolutely. I I didn't. I really wasn't aware of the of the Las Vegas incident. No. Um, and and I think it's I think it's interesting to note the type of relationship that Robbins had with a lot of his coaches over the years, specifically with Phil Jackson and, and the late Chuck Daly. Yeah. You know, not a lot of documentaries that you that you watch, and I'm sure you've seen them, they highlight the type of person that Rodman is and his relationship with his coaches, right? His coaches, they look past the fact that he's a ball player, right? They look at him kind of like as a son, right? You know what I mean? Like, like a black sheep, if you will. So they look at him for who he is as a person. He's fragile, he's sensitive, all that stuff. You know what I mean? And you see him transform over the years from this humble, quiet kid to a guy that is very comfortable in his own skin, he's out there, he's polarizing. And I think you bring up a good point about where the Bulls were situationally with Scottie Clippen and the fact that they needed to defend their title. Jordan yeah. was still wanting to win championships. And I think it got to the point where it was just like, Jordan's got us, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I don't think I don't think any other team in any other era with any other group of superstars, I don't think you would have seen a situation like that happen. and I think another big reason why they were able to get away with that was because of the culture. I think they I think it was the assistant GM that brought that up where I think it was the assistant GM that wanted to take a flyer on Rodman in the first place, and Jerry Cross was against it hundred percent and he said, I think we've got it all wrong with a guy like Rodman. And if we bring him into the fold with the culture that they've built with Jordan, with Scottie, you're able to really harness his talent and you can get the most out of him. So I think it's interesting to point out that they were able to do that and he was able to get away with that with the culture that he was playing in. I don't think he would have been
1: able to do that with any other team in any other area. No. Um, you knew what you were getting with Rodman. For
0: better or worse, I think. For better or worse. So you're talking I mean, about.
1: You're talking about the best on the ball defender of all time.
0: Yeah. He was still in
1: his prime when he was there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and the fact that he was able to get away with it midseason and mm-hmm. go on the kind of bender that he was able to go on.
1: Drinking um, Miller lights and, and hopping on a motorcycle.
0: Yeah. Like, and then he gets welcomed back with open arms. You know, I, I think I, if I remember correctly, I think he walked into practice wearing his pajamas. <laughs> and they had, I think it was Phil Jackson, who made a comment about him being there physically, mentally, or whatever. And then Jordan came back and said, "Look, his body's here. That's don't ask for too much." Too much, yeah. Um, so I, I think it's it's crazy to think that a player as polarizing as Robin could have gotten away with something like that. And as a team, the Bulls got away with letting one of their players do that. It yeah. still led to them getting, you know, winning the championship and him, you know, him playing at a high level. So um, that was such a fascinating part of the story. A lot of, a lot yeah. of it I really didn't know. Um, so for me, it was really cool to, uh, to, to kind of experience that. Moving to episode four, and I, I think this was, this was kind of the opposite. I think we, you and I especially, knew a lot of what happened in episode mm-hmm. four. Um, and I'm talking about the bad boys and. Obviously, it's been well documented over the years the hatred and the disdain between the two teams, between the Bad Boy Pistons and, and, and the Jordan Bulls. Obviously, the Jordan Bulls were, um, you know, they struggled over the years getting past the Pistons until they, they swept them in the 91 Conference Finals. That was well documented in episode four. Uh, but, Patrick, so I want to get your thoughts on the portrayal of the Bad Boys in this documentary. Obviously, both of us being from Detroit, you know, we have a different view and a different perspective of the Bad Boys as a team. And as a, uh, as a as a group of players, but I want to get your thoughts on how they were portrayed in this documentary, which again was, you know, a, a Jordan-led documentary.
1: I feel like they were portrayed just like how everybody viewed them um, originally. I mean, bad boys. Um, they really earned that title, um, especially with, you know, the the situation of you know walking off the court and, and not shaking any hands, but. Uh, it was, it was crazy to me to see the the backlash that Isaiah was getting um, uh, via social media. You know, a lot of guys don't really know who Isaiah Thomas is because not a lot, not a lot of people mention Isaiah Thomas when they talk about the greats, which is unfortunate and fortunate at the same time that this actually came out because the me- it was nice to see the media actually come out and um, you know. Guys like Jalen Rose and, and the, the, everybody on ESPN talking about you better put respect on Isaiah Thomas's name. Um, one of the best, if not the best, point guards of all time. Um, the guy was the guy was six one, and he beat he was the only player to ever beat Magic, Bird and Jordan. Um, nobody nobody else can say that. You know what I mean? So it was. Look, everybody knows the the, the feud between Isaiah and Jordan's been documented ever since the 85 um, all-star game when it was rumored that Isaiah told everybody there not to pass the ball to Jordan. So who knows how true that actually was, but as a Detroiter, as a huge Isaiah Thomas fan, to me, he was wrong. um, That whole situation when, when obviously you you saw Jordan pay his respect after both his losses um, should have done the same. I don't, I don't really blame Isaiah for it because Isaiah, you could tell he's remorseful for that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, it was more Bill Lambier than anything. So everybody, everybody knows that. Bill Lambier doesn't give a shit. And Bill Lambeer, uh to this day... For better,
0: for better yeah, or worse, doesn't care what
1: you say about him. No. Stands by his decision to, to walk mm-hmm. off the court. Doesn't care. And it's unfortunate with, with the resume that Isaiah had, like he was saying, to not have that dream team part of his resume... Um, when you look at some of the guys that were picked, who had a better who had a better resume at the time, John Stockton or, or Isaiah Thomas?
0: You know what yeah. I'm saying?
1: And, and even so, if, you, if
0: you even you even look at the resume of 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 them now, now that all their careers are are, getting, are, are done, right? You look at yeah. guys like Chris Mullen, you guys you look at guys like Christian Leighton, you look at guys like John Stockton. um Patrick Ewing, you know guys like that. It's just mm-hmm. you look at their resumes and you look how they stack up against a guy like Isaiah Thomas, and you could make the case that Isaiah Thomas' resumes is better than, than the, the majority of those players that. Of course.
1: Uh, that were on that team. There was no reason that Isaiah was left. There was no reason other than Jordan not wanting him there that he was yeah. left off. It's it's so obvious.
0: Yeah, and and I think going back to the original question, I don't I wasn't surprised by the by the portrayal, especially when. You know the reports are that the documentary wouldn't have happened unless jordan had the final say so of pretty much every component of this documentary so you know you're not going to have a situation where he's portraying them in a positive light because it's obviously it's his documentary um with that said i think their portrayal is consistent with the way that it's always been you know the pistons have always felt jordan and the bulls were liners and babies and five babies and things like that and the Bulls have always felt that the Bad Boy Pistons were thugs. So I think it's very consistent. Um, but I will add this. I think the, the, the feelings and the, and the portrayal of the Bad Boys, I think, is very consistent with the ports, their portrayal across the country outside of Detroit. Like I think if you talk to people outside of Detroit that follow basketball, I think a lot of people feel the same way about the Pistons. As Nobody the Bulls liked did. them. Nobody liked them. That was, Nobody that was liked the, that's them. the bottom line.
1: Yeah. Um, and you could so I, tell Jordan was triggered as very, soon as that question about Isaiah popped up, and they were going to show him something. He was triggered, and you could tell he became instantly upset.
0: I agree, and I think that still reigns to this day. You know, and, yeah. and Horace Grant obviously had certain words that he that he had uh just to say about how he felt about the Pistons, and I'm sure Scotty Kiffin felt the same way, and Jordan obviously feels the same way. So, I think it's uh I think it's pretty consistent with how they've always been portrayed. I agree with you about the Isaiah Thomas component, though. I think he's, I think he's been paying for, the, you know, the, those, those decisions unjustly, I feel yeah. like, because one, you know, it, it wasn't his idea, you know, it was the Lambia's idea and it's, it's been publicized that it was his idea um, and, you know, his resume, I think is, is kind of taking a backseat to those decisions that have been made over the years. And it's kind of cast a shadow over his resume, yeah. I feel like, and I think it's unjust.
1: Yeah. I wanted to also add, like, you know, people want to get upset that, you know, these guys still hate each other and, and things should have been – at the end of the day, the Pistons-Bulls was a rivalry. I don't want to hear Isaiah and, and, and Jordan, you know, being friends and, and, and having a beer together and stuff like that when you see the way the hatred is on on, on, on the two. Yep. like you you want people want rivalries people love rivalries but the teams are supposed to hate each other that's that's what made sports so great back in the day
0: yeah i mean the game's the game's different now
1: you know what i mean you
0: got a lot of people that are buddy buddy you know and and a lot of people talk about you know could this player play in this era and and vice versa i think i think a big component of that is is the the camaraderie component of it yeah You know, guys like Jordan, guys like uh, guys like Isaiah Thomas, guys like Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, guys like that. You know, Magic Johnson and Isaiah Thomas were very, very close friends. To this day, they're still very close friends, Mm -hmm. obviously. And when they got on the court, they wanted to kill each other. You know, there was, I think, in the Bad Boys documentary that that aired uh, a few years ago, Isaiah Thomas had had specifically mentioned an instance where Magic Johnson hit him across the middle with an elbow. And it kind of caught him off guard and he's like what the hell's going on here and, and i think at that point you kind of figure all right well friendship's kind of out the window and now it's time to play ball mm-hmm. so I, I agree with you there in terms of not having that camaraderie like you just you want you want the competitive spirit behind it so yeah. um you know it's just the time are just very very different um i will say this though i i'm very very excited to see what happens in episodes five and six? I think they're going, they're going, Same. To, they're going to talk about obviously some more components of, uh, of, of that story. Um, but it's it's been such a such a fascinating couple of weeks to watch that documentary kind of unfold. Yeah. Um, and, and luckily for me, watching it, there hasn't been a there there have been a lot of things that I've watched that I really didn't know. So this is more educational. It's and nice, and yeah. More than anything, so um, it's been it's been really fun. I want to shift a little bit to, uh, to the draft. Obviously, you know, we, uh, we, we went through our draft review last week and, and the NFL draft came to length. And, um, you know, I want to get into some, some, some picks that were made and kind of give our thoughts as, as far as what we liked and what we didn't like with some teams. So um, first off, I want to get your thoughts on who you thought had the best and worst drafts of uh, of, of the, of the offseason. So I'm going to start with the best draft. Which team do you think had the best draft
1: uh, last week? You know, I was going back and forth between Baltimore and Arizona. Um, I loved what Arizona did, um, getting getting Isaiah Simmons where he, where he fell. Um, I feel like he was uh, he was the steal of the top ten. Um, but looking at you know looking at everybody's draft and from top to bottom, it's hard not to pick the Ravens. Um, Ravens had got my favorite linebacker in this draft, Patrick Queen at LSU. Um, guy's a stud. Um, the last the last two times that the Ravens took a middle linebacker in the first round was Ray Lewis and CJ Mosley. And, uh, yeah. worked out, worked out really well for them.
0: They're, they're both pretty good. especially mm-hmm. right.
1: They followed it up with uh, JK Dobbins in the second round. Um, I think he's going to add a nice, da- a nice duo with him and Ingram in the backfield, especially since they love running the ball. Um, my, my favorite pick was the Justin Met- uh, Metabuke stud, uh, had a first round grade. Um, 6'3", three, 300 pounds. Kid ran a 4'8", eight. Um, athlete, thirty one reps on the bench. Hell of a player. They had ten picks in this draft. Be a trade, compensatory, uh, the comp picks. Um, they they filled they filled out they filled out their 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 holes if they even had any. So, I liked I liked a lot. I liked what the Ravens did a lot. I I
0: think one of the the best drafts in my opinion I think were the Vikings and, and you talk about a team that had a lot of picks in the draft. The Vikings started this draft with 12 picks, ended with 15. They made a number of deals. They were really oh, wow. aggressive throughout throughout the entire draft process. Um, one of the things that I really liked about the Vikings is that they were able to address a number of games really early. And that was, for me, the picks of Justin Jefferson and Jeff Black, both in round one. Um, you, know, you lose Stefan Diggs. You get a huge haul for him from Buffalo. You get a bunch of draft picks. And then you cut ties with Xavier Rhodes, who was a little bit on the decline. And then you replace them with younger, cheaper, and hungrier players at the top yep. of your draft. So I really like what they were able to do there, and I think the fact that you were able to draft 15 guys is remarkable. Um, they were aggressive. Like I said, they got younger, and they really mm-hmm. added a lot of pieces that can help them make a Super Bowl run. Kudos for them, and I thought they were a fantastic draft. Um, conversely, teams that you thought had the worst drafts, who do you think had one of the worst
1: drafts uh, uh, over the weekend? Um, I mean, to me, it sticks out like a sore thumb. We've got to go with Green Bay. For a team that um, made it to the NFC Championship game last year at 13-3 and three, and having the, the glaring needs on the offensive side of the ball, specifically, um, you know, uh, at wide receiver, uh, tight end, to not grab, to not – and especially in a draft where it's, it was wide receiver heavy in the first round, a lot of talent there. And for them to, to take a quarterback in the first round and, and not help their franchise quarterback, um, to me, to me was, was, was one of that. it just started – it just started bad and, and it ended bad for me, for them. Um, they, had, they had a lot of picks. Um, didn't really – didn't really get immediate impact players. And to, me, they, to me, they took a step back.
0: I agree with you wholeheartedly about the Packers. Um, yeah. I tried, I tried really hard to find a team that had a poor draft um, aside from the Packers. But when you have a quarterback that's been on your team for 16 years, an Aaron Rodgers, that has thrown one touchdown in his entire career to a first-round pick, and you don't surround him with talent, right? There's the, the ongoing theme for years out of Green Bay. Is when are you going to get Rodgers' talent? And you spend your first two picks on a quarterback and a running back when arguably the two best players on your team last year were your quarterback and your running back, Aaron Jones and and Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones. Mm -hmm. Additionally, and I think you hit it right on the head, it's one of the deepest wide receiver drafts in years. Mm -hmm. And you know how many wide receivers they drafted?
1: As many as you and I did. Yeah, you're right. As many as you and I did. They I swear to you, I thought, I thought they took one late, they didn't draft a single wide receiver. No. They did not. They you're didn't right. draft a single
0: wide receiver in this yeah. draft. When, when the, the revolving door on that team is the number two wide receiver behind the Adams.
1: Unreal.
0: So, for me, without a doubt, it, the worst draft was Green Bay. Now, I will say this. I will say this. For a guy like Matt LaFleur – who's trying to be there for a very long time, right? And, you, and you, you look at you look at the Green Bay Packers the same way you look at, like, the Pittsburgh Steelers, right? They don't, they don't fire higher coaches very frequently, right? You've got long-tenured coaches. Matt LaFleur is a young guy. He wants to be there for a long time. Aaron Rodgers is 36 years old, and he's not going to be there for the next 10 years. So I, I understand where he's looking at 10 years down the road, five to 10 years down the road. But this is a team that went 13-3 and three and got to the NFC Championship game. And you could make the case that if they had a little bit more talent on the offensive side and a they're little – They're still relatively more, young. And they're still relatively young. But if you have a little bit more talent on the offensive side, you have a, number two, a good number two receiver, right, maybe that's the difference between them getting the NFC Championship game and then getting to the Super Bowl. You yeah. know? And, and people tend to forget, the Raptors only has one Super Bowl championship in his 16 years there. And I'm not saying all of that is his fault. You look at the front office and, and, and these last couple of years they have not made the right decisions, in my opinion, especially this year. One of the deepest drafts in in, in in recent memory for wide receivers, and you walk away with zero wide receivers,
1: not a good draft in my opinion. No, and that's the thing, dude. Like I know you're saying LaFleur wants to be there for for the long term, but you, you you when you when you talk Green Bay Packers and you ask you ask Green Bay Packers fans, who are the guys who are, who are the guys when you when you when you say Green Bay Packers who are the guys that come to mind people are going to say Brett Favre and people are going to say Aaron Rodgers mm-hmm. and if you're if you're the coach that's going to be responsible for for for, for getting a rod out of town and Jordan Love turns out to be nothing and you lost Aaron Rodgers for the next four years and and Rodgers goes somewhere else and wins that's not going to sit well with, uh, with 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 Packer fans, nor is it going to fit sit well with their organization. I agree. So I, agree. I feel like I feel like Lefleur should have been, you know, he needs to be kissing some ass a little bit with this with this guy, bro. A Rod, he has he's got a resume. The guy's been in the league for a long time. He's been he's been a top he's been a top five quarterback his whole career. Um, talent wise, I mean, who's who's to say there's 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 been a quarterback in the league that that's had more talent than Aaron Rodgers has. Um, I'm I'm just talking about his physical, his physical attributes, like the way is his arm, his mobility, his awareness, just everything. Um, and the fact, and and the fact that he's only thrown one touchdown pass to, um, a first round pick, that's, that's, that's a crazy, crazy ass stat, dude.
0: Let's move on to, uh, to some individual selections. So, uh, obviously the draft happened over the course of three days. First round happened on Thursday. Rounds two and three happened on Friday. Round four through seven happened on Saturday. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on some, uh, on, on some of the best and, and some of the worst picks throughout those days. Let's start with day one, first round. Um, go ahead and give me your best pick uh, out of the first round in this draft.
1: I think it's obvious. CeeDee Lamb at 17 to Dallas, um, crazy that he fell that far, especially with, with, uh, with the Raiders taking rugs at 12. Um, CeeDee Lamb was gifted to the Dallas Cowboys. Straight gifted, Um, they got themselves a stud to go along with the rest of the studs that they have on offense over there. So that's that's to me that one's just so obvious.
0: CD Lamb's a big one. Um, I think one of the better picks for me was was Isaiah Simmons. I I expected Simmons to fall a little bit. Um, Actually, in our mock draft last week, I had him going ninth to Jacksonville, and we ended up eight that way to Arizona. It's still surprising to me that he fell the way that he did. I mean, a, and you look at you look at a team like Arizona that is young on defense, right? And, and they mm-hmm. need playmakers. And Pat Summitt is a younger coach, so he's an innovative coach. I know he's innovative on the offensive side, but um, you know, to have a defensive anchor like that uh, and Isaiah Simmons fall to you at eight, I think is a really, really nice boon for them. Um, I will say this: I also had C. D. Lamb up there. I, I think um, you know when when. He, you have a, when you don't have, when you don't have a pressing need for wide receiver and you have one of the best wide receivers in the draft, ball to you, you can make the case that right now, Dallas is probably the best offense in the NFC right now. Yeah. Um, and I think in the entire NFL, I think the only teams that may have a better offense than them would, would be KC and maybe Baltimore. So that's a great pick for them. Um, I think another pick for me, I think is Tua. I think Tua at five for Miami. Um, Steel. I've been I've been on the tour train really since day one. I thought the Lions should, should have taken him the three, um, but I think for for you to not give up any draft capital whatsoever and still end up with your guy is 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 remarkable. So you I, can I think thank you can thank
1: the Lions for that. One. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. You can thank the Lions for that. Um, that's a different story for a different day. But mm-hmm. nonetheless, I think that was that was uh, one of the better picks there. Conversely. um, Give me, give me one of your head-scratchers. What do you think would of one of the four picks in the,
1: in the first Obviously, the number one head-scratcher that had everybody scratching their heads was Jordan Love at 26 um, for obvious reasons that we just spoke about and um, Ruggs at 12 um, to, the, to the Raiders, especially when Judy and, and Lamb were still on the board. And, and even uh, the LSU kid. And, uh, Justin Jefferson? Justin Jefferson. Uh, to me, Ruggs was, Ruggs was four. On that on that list on that pecking order, and for them to take him first was was kind of weird to me. See, I'm not
0: surprised that Rugs went to the Raiders because the Raiders have always been a team it's what that they do. have been height, weight, speed guys, and Rugs blitzed the combine. And and, yeah. and I talked about it last week during uh during our, our draft review. I I thought that Rugs, I thought Rugs was going to the Raiders, and then, and I was right there because because of his because of his combine. Um, yeah. I want to stick with the Raiders, though. They had two first-round picks, and they took Damon Arnett, uh, cornerback. And you look at a lot of these mock drafts, man. He was not a first-round pick in a lot of these anyway. mock drafts. And I understand that they needed defensive help. I'm not sure he was the guy, especially with linebackers that you've had available. You talked about Patrick Queen. Mm-hmm. Zach Quan was available. I don't know if he was a first-round pick, but still, he was available. Um, I think that there were better players – and that second level that would have been a more immediate impact, especially with them losing to Lynn Mack not too long ago. They're still looking for that replacement, and I think that like Patrick Queen would have been a great fit for the Raiders. I wouldn't have had a problem with him going 19th. Um, obviously, he's a great he's a great value at 27 going to uh, to the Raiders, but or to the Ravens. Yeah. But he would have been a great fit with the Raiders, and I think um, I think the on that move, I think it would have been is a little bit questionable. Um, Let's move on to day two. Let's start with the best pick of day two. Who do you think was, uh, what was one of the better picks there?
1: I'm going to go with uh, my Detroit Lions and DeAndre Swift. Okay. Um, I, in our mock draft, I had Swift going to Kansas City in the first round. I thought he was going to be the, uh, the first running back off the board. And for the Lions to throw a curveball at everybody and uh, take the best player available on the board was really, really nice to see. Um, I think Swift's going to add a, a different dimension to our offense that we haven't seen in years. Oh, well, it's, um, yeah. it's, it's, it's exciting. Um, he he had a first round grade for everybody. Um, you talked to all the guys, you talked to whoever, uh, DeAndre Swift was probably the best prospect running back coming out of this draft.
0: I like that pick for the lions. I would have loved for them to go with defensive line uh, in the second round. I think there was some pretty good offensive linemen that were available that they would have been able to, uh, to help show up that, that big that beeline, that pass rush. One of my favorite picks was Xavier McKinney, safety from Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, he's one of the most versatile defensive players in the draft, yeah. and he's a guy that you can plug in with really all over the field, kind of like Isaiah Simmons. Um, high IQ guy, went to Bama, and the Giants have really been searching for that center fielder on defense ever since Landon Collins departed for Washington. Yeah. So for you to get a guy like Xavier McKinney, uh, in the second round to really shore up that secondary, I think it's a really good pick for them. I like that pick, yeah. a, great, a great deal for the fans. Um, conversely, um, what do you think was one of the one of the poor picks in, uh, in this
1: You know, um, we always like to think that Bill Belichick is the smartest man in the room, um, but he he did it, he took a head scratcher at thirty seven for me and Cal Cal Duger or Duger however it's pronounced, um, taking uh, a safety at thirty seven when there was Antoine Winfield Jr. and Grant Delpit still on the board. Um, I know the Kyle Duger guy is very versatile, and I know New England likes the versatile guys. But I, it might be a system fit. But talent-wise, Winfield Jr. and Delpit, to me, were just so far ahead of, 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 of Kyle Duger. Doesn't that pick feel like
0: he could be an all-pro safety or, or, yeah. or you know all pro all pro defensive back or he could be out of the league yeah like, he mm-hmm.
1: that's what i'm saying there's there's going to be no in between
0: yeah there's no in between um one of the bigger head scratches for me was cole connect from the bears chicago spent their first pick of the draft on a tight end after you sign jimmy Graham. when you've got a number of of offensive linemen available a number of wide receivers available still pretty you know still pretty deep at that point Mm-hmm. And offensive line and wide receiver and playmakers on the outside are more pressing needs, I think, than tight end, especially when you've signed Jimmy Graham. So, yeah. I think you need to give Nick Foles weapons there, or whoever the quarterback's going to be, whether it's him or Mitch Trubisky. So, I'm not a fan of them picking a tight end with their first pick, especially after them picking Jimmy Graham with all the other pressing needs. I wasn't a huge fan of that. Um, let's move on to day three. More diamonds in the rough there. What do you think was one of the best picks there in day three?
1: The one that stuck out to me. Another one in our backyard uh Quintes Cephas um didn't know much about him until they played a clip of our first round pick at the combine talking about the best wide receiver he went up against in college and mentioning Quintes Cephas
0: yeah,
1: um and yeah and looking at the kids highlights looking at his measurables the guy has all the talent in the world to become a really good wide receiver in the nfl and for the best corner in the in you know coming out best prospect you know since jalen ramsey to come out um and talk about a wide receiver and we actually got him in round in round five to me it looks like it's going to be a steal
0: i hope you're right man (laughs) i hope you're right um one of the picks that i really like was bradley and i the defensive lineman from utah and for dallas to snatch up one of the stalwarts of one of the best defensive lines in, in, in college football in round five i think was a nice fit for them they've already got a pretty talented defense on really all levels so for you to bring in a big time defensive nose tackle um to play in a base four three uh i think is is a, is a pretty nice selection for them so i really like the bradley and i think that you for Dallas. yeah uh worst pick in day three i mean i, I it's kind of hard to nitpick at that point, but uh... you know what? It
1: was hard. Yeah, it was very hard. I was gonna go with the kicker that New England took in the fifth round, but you know, like you said, it, it's hard to nitpick and, and find a, a bad draft pick on the third day. So I got a, I got another good one. Uh, Donovan Peoples Jones, um, hey. a sixth round pick, one eighty seven to the Cleveland Browns. Um, guy was a five star recruit coming out of high school, was was just plagued by bad quarterback play um didn't really see the kids full potential um if cleveland does it right with him i think i think you'll see him shine a little bit and you're going to see some of that talent that he has come out
0: i think one of the one of the head scratches for me was logan fember people here in our backyard in detroit i think the lions had i liked him
1: i don't know man i i I think i think you had no I like him more than the Jonah Jackson pick.
0: I no, I like the Jonah Jackson pick. I think Jonah Jackson would be a day one starter, Pro Bowl type of
1: guy. I think both of them can. Well,
0: really I, do. I think for Stenberg, again, you, you know, there are so many glaring needs on, on the Lions, right? And we talked about it earlier. Glaring need for them is pass rush, and yeah, you know, they didn't really aggressively address that. And I think in the middle round of the draft, I'm sure there was there was somebody there that you could have. I made a move for um, yeah. and then you know you, you, you sign Tai to a $50 million contract you draft Jonah Jackson and then right after that you draft another offensive lineman I, I just I didn't understand the, I didn't understand the logic behind that um, yeah. and I think whether you whether you pass on Jackson and go defensive line or you, you, you take That's what Jackson. I would have liked them to see
1: Yeah either way one that way or early, another That early I think it should have I think this should have been defensive line um, instead of instead of Jonah Jackson I, I would have liked saying. that a lot the third round uh, yeah there was a lot of defensive line talent there yeah and I, and I think there was a lot of defensive line talent in, in in the
0: mid-rounds of the draft and I think with either one of those players whether you pass up in either one of them I
1: think there's going to be some talent there on the defensive
0: line so um I didn't really agree with that move but you know in the trenches on the offensive line you know you got a, you, you have an aging quarterback I understand where you're coming from but I just think with all the custom needs that you had I think you could have made a move somewhere else yeah. um I want to move on to the, the, the Packers a little bit more. I know we talked about them at length a little bit, but to run a really big draft. Um, over Packer legend, Brett Favre, also not a big fan of their draft. He was recently on the Rich Igen show, and he has some pretty interesting things to say about the relationship between Rodgers and the Packers. And Favre came out and said that he thinks that Rodgers is going to finish his career with a different team, and that Green Bay has, quote, unquote, burned a bridge with Aaron Rodgers. Um Patches, what are your thoughts on on Favre's comments about
1: Pack- the Packers and Aaron Rodgers? You think, you think Listen, you know how you know how I yeah, you know how I feel about Brett Favre. I'm not the biggest fan of Brett Favre, but I think he's I think he's onto something. Um it's I think the I think the writing is on the wall. Um like like we talked about earlier. You're you're a team that just went 13 and 3. Um with Aaron Rodgers not even playing like Aaron Rodgers because you're running the ball. Um, and you go and you and, and you trade up. You trade up in the first round to take a quarterback and not draft a single wide receiver to get him up an immediate impact player on offense. To me it looks like it looks like they're they're getting ready to move on from him. Um, they're just waiting. I think they're just waiting for him to ask for for a trade. I, I don't I don't see I can't see a situation where, where Rogers is where Rogers is even going to play possibly this season. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I I really, I really think something like this is gonna, is gonna really put Aaron Rodgers over the top. Um, had a rocky relationship throughout the whole season, you know, very passive aggressive, uh, things that I was reading on the CBS report about how Packers are kind of done with Rogers passive aggressiveness, uh, towards just everything. Um, and I think this is—I think this is going to lead to a to a trade. I mean, the guy has got four years left on a deal. Um, shit, as a Lions fan, I'll take it. Uh, get him. <laughs> my, I, I'd rather—I'd rather play against Jordan Love for the next four years than Aaron Rodgers for the next four years. So, um, yeah.
0: I mean, I think for—I think for a guy like Farb to come out and say that, you know, the uh, a bridge is potentially done, right? it's not out of the realm of possibility that he finishes his career somewhere else. You know, I mean, he's, he's 36 no. years old. He's been in the league for a very, very long time. He's been with the Packers for a very long time. And I talked about it earlier, right? You look at a guy like Matt LaFleur that wants to be there long-term. It's planting his own roots, right? This is his second draft. Um, and he, he, he doesn't, he probably doesn't have a, a ton of ties to a guy like Aaron Rodgers, right? And then no. if Aaron Rodgers was, was 30 years old, even maybe 31, 32, I could understand, uh, I could understand the hang-up um, behind drafting a quarterback in the first round. But the fact that Rodgers is 36 years old, and over the last few years, he's been very injury Um and from a, from a production standpoint, just he hasn't been the Rodgers of old, right? Um, and and I, think, I think if you look at it organizationally, it's, it's not the wrong move if you're Green Bay. Right, I, I, I don't agree with it because I think you're rubbing a guy like Aaron Rodgers the wrong way, and I think your window to win a Super Bowl is closing. It's still open. I think you could have used those picks on weapons to put you over the top. I don't fault Matt before for looking four or five steps ahead. It's just I would have gone a different direction.
1: Um, but when but you, think, when you look at it, when you when you, you say the the this, the window you know it's still open, I think it's very much open for the next at least with with Rodgers. Man, I know he's been a little injury prone the last couple of years, but the guys had no help offensively. That's my um, point. Like, why? Like, why wouldn't you? You know what I mean. Why
0: wouldn't you have spent that first round pick on a wide receiver? Right. That's what I'm if, saying. If you couldn't. Like, could you not have moved up to draft a guy like Justin Jefferson, or could you not have moved up to to draft a guy like
1: Ceedee Lamb? Could you imagine? Yeah, Justin Jefferson C.D. went in the 20s.
0: Could you imagine what Ceedee Lamb would have looked like in a Packers uniform?
1: Uh, across, he slid, across, right. Uh,
0: yeah, he slipped, or or even a guy like Jalen Rager. I love Jalen Rager, mm-hmm. right? Or a guy like uh, uh, Denzel Mims, another mm-hmm. guy. You know, he was taken in the second yeah. round. He came to the Jets. Any of these guys, man. Any of these guys could have could have given Rogers extra weapons. I don't I don't necessarily fault them for taking the running back in the second round. Okay, fine. You you want to you want to have extra depth at that spot. Aaron Jones is maybe not the healthiest person in the world. Sure, whatever. But I think with that first round pick, you gotta get somebody a day one starter, immediate impact for a guy like Ben Rodgers. Yeah. And I think that might end up being one of the straws that break the camel's back in terms, of, sure. in terms of that relationship being very frayed. And and it wouldn't surprise me if, if Rogers had a very unceremonious um, departure from Green Bay and, and, yeah. and him and LaFleur kind of kind of beef it out. So um, it's gonna be really interesting to see. I, I don't I don't have his contract numbers in front of me offhand, but I'm sure he's got a couple years left on his deal. Four years. Yeah. Well, I mean, at that point. Four years, especially, yeah,
1: especially with quarterbacks playing until they're 40 and into their 40s now. And, like, to me, me, it was just way too early to pull the trigger on something like this, especially for a guy like Aaron Rodgers.
0: Real quick, if he ends up leaving, where does he go?
1: Man, you talking about teams that are are right there. Uh, I can see – shit – I think you're overthinking about it. I don't know. I really don't. The Chicago, And Belichick comes calling, you think so?
0: Oh, come on, man! Instant Super Bowl contender at that point. You kidding me? Yeah, or right back yeah. on the map at that point. Right yeah. back on the map.
1: Mm-hmm. A motivated
0: Rodgers under Belichick.
1: Yeah, that's. I don't know. Like, yeah, you might. You might see that one, him, man. Never know. That one would be. That one would be scary. Yeah.
0: Speaking of quarterbacks, I want to I want to jump ship. I want to stay in the NFC a little bit. We had a uh, we had a signing over the last couple of days. It took a little longer than normal, but uh, Jameis Winston, famous Jameis, mm-hmm. signed with the Saints. Stayed in the division, and uh, he's going to back up Drew Brees for the next for the next season. Um, a lot of people thought he was going to take a starting position. I know there were rumors about the Chargers, rumors about the Panthers, maybe um, the Bears, uh, but at the end of the day, he gets a backup role with uh, very experienced quarterback in Drew Brees and uh, he ends up signing with the Saints. What are your thoughts on that move for Winston? Do you think it's a smart move for him to take a backup role as opposed to waiting for a starting spot?
1: I forget what episode it was, but we, we talked about this. We talked about whether or not would he, would he be willing to, to take a, a backup role. Um, and to me, this was a smart move. Um, the guy's still very, very young, and he has, he has talent. There's no, there's no debating that. Um, but I feel like he just needs to learn the game a little bit more, and who better to learn it from than Drew Brees and and, and Sean Payton? Um, this was this was a hell of a move for 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 Winston. Hell of a move.
0: I think if he can, I think if he can learn to kind of humble himself, because I think this is a first step of him yeah. humbling himself. This is kind of like a redemption tour, if you will, um, for him to recognize that he may have to take a step back in order to take that you know two steps forward. Um, yeah. I think it's a good move for him, and you know, I, I think for him to, to grow with a guy like Drew Brees, like I said, humble himself. Um, he can learn from the two obviously. He can learn a lot from from Drew Brees and Sean Payton and, and the way that their culture and their structure is really designed. He needs that. He needs a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Not to say that Bruce didn't offer that when he was in Tampa, but um, you know, New Orleans is kind of a different animal, and, and I think that he can he can really benefit from that. Um, and and I and I and I hate to make a joke here, but he knows their he knows their he knows their team pretty well. He threw ten picks to yeah. them last yeah. year, mm-hmm. and uh, he threw more picks to them than then Taysom Hill had had completions. I think it was a ten exactly. to seven ratio or, or, or something. So yeah, um, you know he's he's pretty familiar with the way that that system is set up. So, um, mm-hmm. but all jokes aside, I think it's a pretty good move for him, and, and, and hopefully, uh, you know, maybe he ends up being the successor to Brees. Maybe Brees got yeah. one year left, and and he spends know, a good chunk of his career there, or he yep. ends up, you know, becoming a starter elsewhere in uh, in twenty twenty one. But I think it's a really good point. Yeah. Um, I want to move into some NCAA, and uh, we had some news come out over the last couple of days. The NCAA has endorsed the approval of having athletes make money on their likeness and endorsement deals, shoe deals, things of that nature. Um, and this is going to start in the two thousand twenty one two thousand twenty two season. We've talked about this over the last few months. I know states have adopted um, uh, colleges to be able to do that, now the NCAA University has adopted that rule. Um, mm-hmm. Patches, I want to get your thoughts on this rule. How, how do you think this changes things, uh, for, for better or worse, if you're, if
1: you're the NCAA? I think this was more of a reaction move um, to to what these you know some of the, the, the top high school players have been doing in basketball, uh, going to the G League and, and, and you know making – Making a pretty pretty good chunk of money right off the rip, so um, I'm not really going to give the NCAA kudos on this, just because this is something that should have been happening a long time ago. Um, I think this was more of just a reaction move to, to kind of, you know, maybe prevent future future kids from doing the same thing that's been happening, you know, uh, recently with with the, with the whole G League thing. Um, but it's it's a, it's a start.
0: The name slips my mind, but there was there was a recruit that. Recently, decommitted from college to go Mm -hmm. to the G League. Yes, and you know, I, I think you're going to see that a little bit more, and and I think Mm -hmm. that has a lot to do with the growth of the G League uh, over the years. You know, and and that speaks to really the progression of the NBA as a as a as a a business to be able to do that. Um, I agree with you that it's very reactionary. Uh, I think it's a good move because it's going to, you're going to see people. Athletes mainly in, in college football um, benefit from this. I think you're going to have a lot more people and in, in athletes in, in, in basketball still end up in the G League because yeah. that's, gonna, that's a trend that's going to start to really gain some speed. Um, I, again, I think it benefits athletes more, more so in the NCAA because the NCAA doesn't have anything that they can compete against if you're the NFL, right? The NFL doesn't yeah. have a minor league system, if you will, right? No. The is the NBA's minor league system. Until the NFL has a minor league system that they can benefit from, the NCAA really doesn't have that much to worry about. I think this is going to be more uh, of, a, of a story if you're, if you're focusing on the college basketball aspect. But I think it's a good move. I think it had to happen. Um, I think it's something that should have happened years ago. Uh, the fact that it's happening now is great. I think it's a little too late, but – um, I think it's good that they've been making that that they've they made that move, but like, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with basketball players
1: convert, uh, compared to compared to the, uh, yeah. football players. D- uh, Dacian Nix is his name. Yeah, uh, yep, that's a so five it. star, Nicks. five star point guard. Uh, decommits from UCLA. Yeah, it's um, huge. Yeah, it's huge, man. It's it's mm-hmm. it's big. It's, it's going to be something. That's a big see. loss. That's a big loss for oh, UCLA. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Um. I want to shift back to some basketball Um, and there's been some rumblings that the NBA is going to be potentially opening uh, some doors to practice facilities. I know uh, know the Lakers have been talking about doing this on May 1st Uh, and the NBA will be hopefully targeting that date for some cities that are loosening up their stay-at-home orders. Um, Patches, do you think that we're going to see basketball by the 4th of July? at this point you are, that's a target date that a lot of people have been talking about do you, do you see the nba starting back up come july 4th
1: i do um i feel like a lot of the states are you know easing their shelter, easing up on their shelter and home um reopening things slowly um i i, I know that the nba they've been saying that they've had a plan in place for for a while i think basketball is going to come back but it's going to be it's going to be without fans um I don't know how how that's going to go down. Um I was talking about that a little bit with my brother earlier today and uh just not not having the fan the fans at the stadium is going to be very weird. I'm sure they're going to have some kind of simulation playing that that's going to have crowd noise and things like that because I don't think the players are going to going to want to play in a quiet gym. That's that's going to be my thing for them.
0: You know I, I hope you're right with the, with the July 4th, um, yeah. with, the, with that July 4th deadline. Um, going back to your point about the, the dog noise, though, I'd be interested to see what the game would sound like without the fans, specifically when it comes to the trash talking and the communication yeah. from the players and the coaches and the bench. You're going to hear all that. You don't hear a lot of that stuff right now. Because yeah, you will hear it, though. No. You don't hear a lot of it. You will hear a lot of that stuff this time around. I'd be fascinated in, in seeing what a game would look like under that site. Um, yeah. But a lot of a lot of players have come out and said, like I know LeBron has said it a lot of times, he won't play unless it's in front of fans. Um, I get where he's coming from. The bigger picture is that, hey, look, we probably have to get the season going at some point. And, and even if yeah. a guy like LeBron, you kind of understand it just might be this, his last, best chance for him to win a championship. So fans are not. I think if the, the the decision comes where hey look we may we may designate I know uh, Disney Disney uh, Disney World was one of the settings mm-hmm. we're talking about potentially doing that uh, at which I think is fascinating they were talking about Vegas they were talking about other parts of LA um, so I, I think it's going to be really really telling in these next couple of weeks what a lot of these cities end up doing like I know in Detroit where we live the stay at home order has been extended to the fifteenth so at least through the second week of May, we're not going to really see anything from a sports perspective. We could yeah. to change, you know, with, with the other 49 States, uh, and with the other 29 teams in the NBA. So, um, I hope you're right. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. I hope July 4th, we've got fireworks and basketball.
1: Um, you mean and both, you mean both brother
0: or, or, or baseball or whatever the case may be. But, um, mm-hmm. I'm really hoping we see some basketball next, uh, next couple of months. Um, I want to to finish up our show with some of the news that broke with uh, the NFL. We were talking about the NBA possibly opening up its doors very soon. There were some proposed changes that the NFL has been going back and forth with to streamline their ability to start a season relatively on time for, for the 2020 campaign. Some of the changes that were being proposed were a season starting on October 15th, which is about a four to five week. Um, delayed compared to where the season normally starts, which is typically the week after Labor Day. Um, a Super Bowl happening at the end of February versus the beginning of February. No bye weeks and no Pro Bowl. Um, Patches, based on this um, report out of Business Sports Daily News, what, what do you make of these? I mean, are you in favor of these changes if it means getting football back
1: um, or starting football relatively on the same schedule? What are your thoughts like? Listen. Football, I don't care when it starts. I just need it to start.
0: Uh,
1: <laughs> where I'm I'm a football guy. I need football to be, you know, I'll I'll be able to handle it if it's if it's a month, if it's a month behind, right? Okay. Um but if if football doesn't start, you know, relatively on time, um I don't know what I'm gonna be able to I don't know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go nuts. What I do what I do I like the October 15th start? Yeah, for personal reasons because my wife is due at the end of September, which is you know during the season. Sure. So sure. It to start for it to start after would be fantastic. So um, I don't know how the no bye week thing is going to work. I don't know if players are going to be happy about that. Yeah. Um, but who who gives a shit about the Pro Bowl? Um, big deal, right? Big deal. Super Bowl later in February, even better. The only thing that
0: the only thing about the Super Bowl that would that would um, that would kind of put a damper on it is that. It would be on the 28th, and that's my wife's birthday. So oh, shit. I would probably have to do something the night before. So, Viv, mm-hmm. babe, if you're listening, I love you, but we're probably not going to celebrate your birthday on your birthday. Uh, <laughs> but all kidding aside, um, I, I'm, I'm in agreement with you, man. If, yeah. if we can get football relatively close to what it would have been, COVID-19 notwithstanding, I'm all yeah. for it, you know? Yeah. To hell with the Pro Bowl. You can just – you can you can – you can name your pro bowlers and all pros. Um, the bye weeks, yeah, that might be a little bit of an issue, but you may see some load management there. I know we've talked yeah. about that before with the, with the sure. schedule being extended, um, that you might see some load management. I think you may start to see that if, if we end up eliminating the bye weeks at least for the season. But um, I'm, in, I'm in total agreement with you, man. Anything that we can yeah. do to get football started, I'm all for it. I want it. Yep. I need it. I got to have it. And, and at this point, I'll, I'll take I'll take a puppy bowl, dude. If, exactly. Even if it's a Super Bowl, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. If it's a puppy bowl, I'm watching it. Um, exactly. And, uh, and, and that's where I stand. Um, on that note, we're going to close out the Front Runners podcast this week. I want to thank everybody for watching. I want to thank everybody for listening. Um, like we mentioned earlier in the show, we are on YouTube now. This is going to be our second consecutive show that we air on YouTube. We're available on YouTube. We're available on all podcast formats, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Radio.com, SoundCloud, um, check us out on our Instagram page, Front Runners Podcast. Um, our YouTube channel is Frontrunners Pod. Very easy to find us all. Patches runs our Twitter feed, Frontrunners Pod, as well. Um, we're going to be back and better than ever next week with uh, a bunch of new topics, a bunch of new conversations. And uh, we want to thank you guys all for listening and watching. And and Patches, I bid you adieu. I will see you, you next up, week, buddy. one way or another. And uh, thank you very much for joining us. Have a great week, everybody. You too, brother.